Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in experts and authors to help writers of all genres compose more authentic cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, acclaimed bestseller Anderson Harp steps into the interrogation room to try to get his story straight. Anderson Harp writes the Will Parker thriller series, currently published by Kensington Press. One of his books from this series, Northern Thunder, brought Will Parker to life and has since been banned in China. Anderson served in the Marines, taught Arctic survival, mountaineering, and was stationed all around the globe. He was the officer in charge of the Marines' crisis action team during the invasion of Afghanistan. He also created the USO's Operation Thriller and did two USO tours in the Persian Gulf visiting U.S. troops there. His writings also appeared in the Huffington Post, CNN, Larry King Live, Newsmax, and The Big Thrill. He earned an MFA in literary fiction from Queen's University and was a contributor invitee to Breadloaf 2019. His latest release is entitled November 400 CP is Missing. Anderson, welcome to Writers on the Beat. I am so grateful for you making time to come on and, and share your expertise and talk about your writing, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, for everyone who hasn't yet picked up a copy of November 400 CP is Missing, what should readers and listeners know about this latest release? It's really one of the most fascinating uh, research projects I had because of the nature of the place. Um, this is uh, based upon a, a uh, private commercial jet, private and commercial in the sense that it's, uh, it, it was used by uh, a major oil producing corporation. And it uh, was hijacked coming out of Sumatra. And Sumatra is just really was, was a fascinating place in terms of uh, potential for, for a thriller story. Sumatra is about 97% Muslim. Mm -hmm. Sumatra is uh, the, the northmost, no, the most northern city of the island is uh, Banda Aceh. And to give you an idea, over the decades, Banda Aceh has been called the porch of Mecca because wow. all of the the Muslim world of the Western Pacific would go through Banda Aceh for centuries going to Mecca. Wow. So it's got that uh, chemistry to it. Uh, and as a result, it uh, has had some terrorist events associated with terrorist uh, Muslim fundamentalist groups. In addition to that, it is right, it is the, the bookend of the, the uh, Malacca Strait which is uh, the throat hole of shipping in the Western Pacific. Uh, all the shipping in that world has to go through this corridor of shipping uh, right uh, to the east of Sumatra. So you have that. And then if you, as if you didn't need anything else, it's on one of the most volatile fault lines in the world. Uh, the, uh, in uh, what they called Boxing Day, which was December 26th, several years ago at uh, seven o'clock, approximately seven o'clock a.m., a 100-foot-tall uh, tsunami went through Banda Aceh at 200 miles an hour and virtually instantly killed 100,000 people. Wow. So you have all that put together with a situation where in this story, uh, the, the jet disappears, and on the jet is a... Uh, 
a um, past Marine, past active duty Marine, and he disappears from the face of the earth. And uh, his wife is left without any answers as to what's what happened and what's going on. And my character, my protagonist, William Parker, who served in the Marine Corps, uh, served in combat, uh, who has done several missions. And his mantra, so to speak, is that uh, when somebody, particularly in the Marine family, uh, can't get an answer, then they will hunt him down. And he's reluctant to be involved because he now lives in Alaska. He's a, he's a lover of flying. He's a pilot and he does flying and rescue missions in Alaska, but he's uh, called to, to uh, see if he can find out some answers for her. Now, what inspired you to, to write this story uh, and, and pick these, these places? What, what it, uh, brought all this together for you? You know, I, I'm constantly, uh, Surfing, I served, uh, of course, in the Marine Corps, and I served uh, uh, with the Marine Forces Pacific and Marine Forces Central Command as my last tour of duty as an activated reservist uh, when we were invading Afghanistan. So I was exposed to a lot of the Western Pacific scenarios, I guess, and uh, that was part of it. And, of course, my other books have gone to other places around the world where either I've served or I've had some, some information about. So, um, you know, I saw these things that I thought, you know, that's, that's the grist mill for a, a good thriller. Now, with your main character, Will Parker, how, I guess, when did you meet him and how did you go about crafting him as a, as a protagonist? Well, Will Parker is, you know, I guess like uh, your other authors you've had on, you know, is a little bit of me, but it's a little bit of perhaps who I want to be, <laughs> mm -hmm. so to speak. <laughs> you know, uh, he uh, he was in the Marines. Uh, he was a district attorney originally out of, came out of the South, came out of Georgia. Um, he had one footnote that was unique. Actually, he has two footnotes that, that are unique. One is that he was one of the first victims of terrorism. Terrorism, his uh, uh, it, it came out in the first novel called uh, Northern Thunder, that uh, his parents were both on Pan Am Flight 103, which were killed over at Lockerbie, Scotland. Mm -hmm. So he has that in his gut. Um, the other thing that he has that that it makes him uh, unique. Uh, that I wish I had more of, and that is one of, I think one of the new weapons of, of today's world that the military particularly has picked on, picked up on, and that is the ability, ability to be conversant in languages. Mm -hmm. And he is uh, what they have called a hyper polyglot, which <laughs> is uh, a fancy word for, yeah. there was a cardinal called, uh, I think Cardinal Mezzofonte, who a hundred years ago, who could easily speak dozens and dozens of languages, even with the accent. Wow. And uh, was very, very famous in his world. And Will, William Parker has that same capability that, that he is very comfortable with speaking foreign languages. And that really fits him into a lot of scenarios that mm -hmm. not all the heroes you think of today, you mean like you know, I was saying somebody, somebody the other day, I said, you know, if you looked at like if you had a mission in Sumatra and a mission in Somalia and a, and a mission in Korea, you know, who would you hire? Would you have, hire uh, uh, Jack Ryan, uh, you know, who was a 
CIA analyst who I don't know if he has any language skills or, or uh, would you hire Jason Bourne, who's a very good scrambler. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, you know, I would think you would, you, I would look, I looked at it as, you know, who, who in reality would be somebody that you would, uh, you would want to do a mission like this. Uh, he's a loner too. I mean, he, he never, uh, uh, never uh, became married. Um, and um, sort of like Jason Bourne in, in that regard, mm -hmm. um, which I think is another instrumental part of this. You know, if somebody, somebody that, that goes on missions like this have to have almost a, a uh, care with all type of attitude associated with danger. They, mm -hmm. that's, you know, I think that's why James Bond was love and his love for so many years is there was a careless aspect of what he does and what he has to do. Yeah. Devil may care. Yeah, exactly. Now in, in crafting him and, and writing him as original character, uh, aside from, if, if I get the, the, the term right, a, a hyper polyglot, uh, is there anything else about Will Parker that you crafted that's kind of sets him aside or makes him different from all the other main characters in this genre in the field? Well, he's, uh, of course, he's very athletic. He, he's a marathoner. Uh, that regard is similar to me. I've been a, a, a runner since uh, college uh, scholarship. And uh, also I was on the, the All-Marine track and field team. So he has the physical aspects associated with that. And uh, he's a natural pilot. He, you know, he, uh, he loves to fly, uh, which certainly comes in aid uh, to mm -hmm. all the functions he has. He, you know, he, I struggle with whether or not he is, needs to be crippled, so to speak, in the sense of, you know, some of the heroes today and some of the writing seems to attract attention because they have some, some aspect that, that is unique or different, you know, uh, like the, uh, what is the, uh, the, uh, the girl with dragon tattoos, I believe, yes. yeah. uh, you know, has these, these off styled attributes. Uh, I struggle with that. I mean, because uh, frankly, yeah, I would not select somebody like that to do the type of missions that, that, that uh, he's involved in. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I did not want to create a character that was so far from reality that it, it wasn't somebody that I could accept as somebody that would do a mission like this. The other thing too is uh, he was in um, a combat with what they call Anglico in the Marine Corps, which is the Air Naval Gunfire Liaison Company, which is a small little group of the Marine Corps that uh, their mission generally is to go behind lines and then they call in uh, either air or even naval gunfire, uh, which was used wow. to some degree in, uh, I think, Desert Storm 1. Well, that the air naval gunfire, Anglico, as they call it, you know, the military has to cut everything down to, to size. Acronyms. Yep. Acronyms. <laughs> exactly. Um, he has a team, and that team will follow him anywhere. I mean, so he's had, he has a team of three other guys, and all of them add some attribute or some benefit. And he's got one gunnery sergeant that is really his right arm for a lot of this stuff. And so they, they, uh, they follow him and support him so that some of these missions uh, make sense and are practical. Now, 
I have about 15 questions I want to ask immediately based on everything you just said. <laughs> the, um, one of the things I, I have to ask, um, so uh, much like the, the military or probably because of the military and its influence on uh, law enforcement post-World War II, uh, especially post-Vietnam, uh, cops also love acronyms. And uh, two of my favorites are uh, Muppet, which is the most useless police person ever trained, and a Bob. Uh, which is a burglar on a bike. Um, so uh, uh, I wonder if you have any any favorite acronyms from your military service. Well, I think one of the best ones, to give you an idea how basic we take it in the Marine Corps, is that when you become an officer in the Marine Corps, the first thing you do is you go to infantry officer school, which is a six-month cycle at Quantico. And the Marine Corps has named that the basic school. <laughs> short for TBS <laughs> or, or the long for TBS, which is the short version of it. So I always thought that was, that was a classic to go to the basic school. They summed it up pretty well. <laughs> now with, uh, with your writing, I wonder when you first knew that you wanted to write and when you wrote something other people actually wanted to read. That's a great question. I uh, actually, I had written in the medical legal field for several years and uh, was even on the uh, editorial board of a major medical journal. So did uh, technical writing. In the same time that I was doing that, I was uh, uh, serving in the Pentagon. And I was in the Pentagon and somebody that knew, a friend that knew I was in the Pentagon said, hey, I've got a great book for you to read. And uh, I read the book and it uh, was not plausible in terms of the actual building of the Pentagon. I mean, he had a, he had a door in a place where there was a 10 foot thick wall, mm -hmm. you know, so I, you know, so that sort of became the challenge of, you know, it would be fun to write something that, you know, um, and just sort of take it from there. And then uh, I wrote the uh, Northern Thunder and then it got, picked up by a small publishing house and then uh, Kensington uh, bought it out later on and re-released it. So that, that was my journey as to how to do it. The, another thing about my, my uh, journey, which is sort of interesting is that uh, uh, I was really interested and dedicated to, to the craft, the idea of the craft. So I went to a university. I was, I was writer workshop summer session mm -hmm on novels. And, uh, at the end of that short time, they said, uh, you ought to consider going to getting a master's in fine arts and in, in uh, literary fiction. So I went to, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, where I, at Queens, where I got an MFA and really try to study the craft of, like you say, building characters, building pace, building conflict. Uh, and I do have some stuff that I've written actually on the nonfiction side. Uh, that some of it's uh, one of a, an article recently was published in uh, the, uh, the web page, we are the mighty. And then, mm. uh, and then I've got a, uh, I've got a book right now that's looking for a home. That's a, a nonfiction literary piece. Now, one of the major themes of this show is that it only takes about a full decade of blood, sweat and tears to become an overnight success and it doesn't sound to me like your journey is too far off from that. No, you're absolutely right. 
I mean, the, what's what well, everyone when you hear about the the person that originally discovered talent that he was only working in the field for a decade. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, my friend Steve Barry mentioned mentioned that you know, and he's he's right about that. There there's just a lot of you do see. You do. One of the other things about writing is you appreciate other writers writing. Uh, it's really fascinating. I, I found that when you uh, you get this far into it and you read somebody else's work, and you're really fascinated at how they make make a turn in a sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the guys that that I admired for, was Pat Conroy from the South. He could really make a turn. Uh, of course, Ernest Hemingway. He could mm-hmm. really make a turn in in one one paragraph. Uh, and you see, so you sort of really get, get a kick out of the appreciation of the craft, too. Uh, one of the side stories uh, that I found was years ago, I found the Paris Review did a, an interview of Hemingway when he was in Cuba. Hmm. And it's a fascinating read to read about his approach to, to writing. Um, he, uh, he always wrote on a desk that he could stand up at. And he uh, would get a big piece of cardboard and he would plot out the storyline on a piece of cardboard that he then would craft his novel by. So that really fascinated me, mm-hmm. you know, what, what different writers do to sort of do this craft. There's very, you know, there, there are a few people that are just so natural that they immediately write a book and uh, it suddenly it gains all the fame uh, and fortune. You know, I guess Harper Lee is the best example of that. Uh, I'm sure there are probably thriller writers that are good examples of that. I guess John Grisham might be close to that. John Grisham got a lot of success very early on. Uh, yeah, yeah, I recently spoke with uh, uh, Lee Goldberg again. Um, he yeah. uh, and uh, when I, I posed that question to him, he's he's one of the one-offs. Um, I've only spoken with, with I think two people who haven't had kind of a similar experience, but he, he sold his first uh, book at 19. And wow. he said, I've had the opposite problem of trying to maintain success. Um, and, uh, you know, he said, it's, it's been a very up and down journey. He said, you know, I mean, he went from, you know, writing um, incredibly well-known and beloved shows to, you know, the, um, the new adventures of Flipper. He's like, so, you know, it hasn't, hasn't all been gravy, but, you know, um, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, there, there is no one, I don't think, um, aside from the Harper Lee example that, that I think is going to write one fantastic book and then, you know, be done with the career or, or, you know, have that sustain them. Right. Yeah. I, I, I agree totally. I mean, it's, I guess it's like anything, and there's a lot of karma involved in life. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things I think about Hemingway was that, you know, uh, he eventually committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I almost wonder that's because he ran out of stories. Uh, he had several, several serious head injuries throughout his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. First, when he was an ambulance driver, more around yeah. near him. Uh, he had several, he had, you know, one of the interesting stories about him, and it was so interesting, was that, uh, you know, he and his wife went to Africa and they got an airplane. The airplane took off and then crashed. <laughs> and he was able to pull himself out of the wreckage. Supposedly, I think he actually 
had to uh, break the plexiglass with his butting it with his head. So that was certainly concussion number two or three. Mm-hmm. But then the sad thing about it was that they then the next day got an airplane in to take him out and that airplane crashed. Oh my God. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, so he had, you know, all of his stories track his real life experiences. Mm-hmm. And it seems, you know, right at the end, you know, of course he probably had significant traumatic brain injury yeah. from all those, all those years, you know, they were describing it as, as an Alzheimer type of loss of short-term memory. Mm-hmm. But then he, uh, like I said, he, I think he probably just ran out of stories because all of his books seem to track stories of his life. Yeah. And that's uh, on kind of a, I wasn't sure how uh, this was going to tangent in, uh, in my notes when I was getting ready for the interview, but uh, perfectly well, here it is. <laughs> so with all the, uh, the possibility of him having had these, these TBIs in the, what we're learning now about the relationship between traumatic brain injury and uh, depression and anxiety and, and, and suicidal ideation, if not suicide. Um, one of the things that has been incredibly beneficial to me in my life in dealing with, uh, with my professional traumas has been uh, philanthropy. And um, I work with, uh, work with team Rubicon um, to do uh, uh, disaster relief and volunteer deployments. Um, and I also understand that philanthropy has been a really important part of, of, of your life and, and your uh, profession the last few years. It has been. Now, well, I, uh, in my journey, became familiar with the International Thriller Writers Association, the ITW. And of course, at that point in time, I, I spent uh, most of my career as a Marine reservist. Yeah, so uh, literally... One day, I think I was actually, I think it was actually David Morrell, uh, who wrote, of course, First Blood and created Rambo, um, he was a great guy. Uh, I said, well, what do you think about uh, going to visit the troops? And of course, he, he, you don't have to ask him twice for something like that. <laughs> so then I, uh, I did a, literally a cold call to the USO. Uh, sent him text and everything. I said, here are my credentials. What do you think about you know, an author tour? And they were excited. And then so we formed it up. And like I say, uh, in 2010, we took uh, five of us to uh, the Persian Gulf. Uh, Steve Barry was there, Doug Preston, uh, James Rollins, uh, David Morrell, myself. Wow. And then uh, thereafter, 2012, I came back, 20, uh, 2011, a, a good writer and friend named Andy uh, Peterson took a group to, we took Clive, Clive Cussler to Afghanistan. And uh, it was just an amazing experience. Uh, most of the writers had never had anything to do with the military, despite some of them writing really good, really good stories about mm-hmm. military action. Uh, and then, uh, in fact, one of them, I think said, uh, gee, if, when we go on this tour, I hope I get a chance to shoot a gun. <laughs> and, and I'm not naming names, but first, first I said to him, I said, well, first of all, we don't call it a gun. <laughs> yeah. Step one. <laughs> uh, but it re- but the thing that was most impressive about that was that the USA USO took us everywhere. We were in Mosul 
And uh, oh. while they were, you know, the, the armored up vehicles were going out on combat tours, uh, uh, combat uh, convoys and all. And uh, I think some weeks after that, they, they actually had a loss of life uh, from, it was very, a very hot spot. Wow. So uh, the USO took people, we'll, we'll take talent forward uh, to dangerous areas because uh, they feel that's their mission. Uh, but it was, it was just, it was, it was one of the greatest experiences of this writing world is because, you know, you're visiting some young, uh, young soldier or a male or female, mm-hmm. and um, they really appreciated you taking the time and signing something for them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, and it sort of actually became a contest. A couple of guys on the first tour is there's, there's, there are libraries just about in every sizable military base and the guys were contesting as to who had most of their books in the library (laughs) a little type a personality type of competition yeah going on but anyway i continued that on and uh not too long ago uh, with john gilstrap we did a a uso video uh, about thrillers that was broadcast to uh, uh soldiers and spouses in uh western europe and then also I have gifted books for uh, gift pack packages uh, to military units uh, now for several years. So it's fun. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I, I like to do to we're closing out the, the show here, I, I like to end on a hypothetical if you're, uh, if you're willing to play along, Anderson. Sure. So let's suppose for a moment that we've put you in a situation fairly similar to that in which you've put Will Parker in uh, November 400 CP is missing. And the wife of one of your fellow Marines calls and asks for your help in investigating a suspicious missing flight out of Kuala Lumpur. Uh, The federal government, the FBI, CIA has been no help. She's getting no answers. And you have the chance to take along two fictional characters who you don't write to assist in this mission, who do you take? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I probably would take uh, Bourne because he is such a, a hustler, you know? I might take uh, Jack Reacher, you know? Both of those uh, seem to be able to, uh, to respond to uh, tough situations <laughs> with creative ideas. <laughs> that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. I, although I'd like to probably take a doctor with me too. If you've got a real strong medical team member that, uh, that uh, in fact, I've actually put that in my most recent novel. I'm for a precursor for future, future novels is someone that's an emergency room doctor. I figure yeah. you might want to have that with you. Yeah, that, that'd be a real handy guy to have on the task force. Right. Yeah. Somebody that and can it's just... actually a woman in this, in this novel too. So. Oh, even better. Yeah. yeah. Somebody who can who can do more than just apply a tourniquet and Israeli bandage. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But where can readers connect with you and maybe keep track of your writing and your works in progress, Anderson? Just uh, if, if anybody's interested in following it up, we've got a great web page at andersonhart.net. So please, please follow us on all the different things. And November 400 CP is available through all of the, the markets, uh, particularly with uh, ebooks and uh, print-on-demand books as well.
Uh, Anderson, I greatly appreciate you making time to come on the show and share your writing expertise, sir. It's been an honor having you and really looking forward to finishing this book. It's been an incredible read. Well, thank you. Very, very kind of you to have me. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been acclaimed bestseller Anderson Harper. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.